This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're glad to have you listening to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Greg Williams and Greg's List here on America's Web Radio. Good afternoon, Greg. Thank you, David. And how are y'all doing, America? You are listening to your favorite show, Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. I was uh, just reading something here that came across that said that those uh, those ISIS animals just beheaded another journalist. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I I, had, I mean, been, I literally uh, was on the. I had something else that yeah, I was going to talk about. I was about going crazy and uh, on some other stuff, and I just saw there was a deal, and there was our uh, our. You know, these guys are such damn cowards. Have you ever not? They have to wear their mask. They they won't they won't show their faces. They they're just they're cowards. And uh, and I saw you know just a, a little clip of it that uh, yeah. You know, he was standing there, and, and I guess it was the same routine that they did on the last, uh, on Foley. And Which I'm trying to figure, I mean, is the Foley one, yeah, there was some people saying that that was staged. And, I mean, if it was staged, it doesn't matter. I mean, of course it was staged. They, they were filming it and using it for terror purposes. But, I mean, have they confirmed that Foley is dead? You know, that's, I, it was a weird... It's a very some, interesting thought because I'd, I'd had the same thing you know the family which looked like a, an extremely nice couple and, yeah. and talking about their son and stuff and then we have the idiot in your white house but um anyway the one thing i was wondering about are these barbarians did they send back the body or would they turn the body over to somebody or and and that would be to your question confirmation well i mean I, I don't know. I, back in um I guess Pakistan slash Afghanistan, the journalist from the Wall Street Journal, Daniel Horowitz, he, mm-hmm. uh, they did the same thing to him, except they didn't really film it or tape it or whatever these guys are doing. I mean, it looks like they're just out in the desert filming. I mean, you would think maybe we should fly some drones over and figure out where the, the freaking stage is? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I but, don't know either. I mean, that's just my... That, that's just my thought is, you know, why aren't we able to, to track these better? I mean, they look like they're just doing it in the open. But with the Horowitz case, they they did that. And then they, I guess they said where his remains were. So, and, and that's what I'm trying to find out, David. Have they, you know, confirmed yeah, I don't know. anything on, on Foley? And this new one, I, I didn't even know that this uh, journalist had been kidnapped. Um Trying to get his name pulled up here now. Did you see what his name was? It oh, literally I assume it was the guy that they'd been holding. They, they, you know, they'd been touting that they had another one, and, and his name had gone by many times, but I, I didn't catch it. Well, but anyway, we're uh, we're we're coming back here from a, a nice long weekend, uh, Labor Day, which I guess means something to some people, and some people that don't work probably don't know what that means but uh you know it was interesting labor day was uh it it had a long history of becoming a holiday and if you think about it it, you know the unions kind of uh helped establish it as a holiday that was back when the unions were actually useful and stood up for the worker and not for leftist special interests did you have much experience in texas with any you, you, I know you have a farm and, and, and uh, stuff. No, no, we didn't. We didn't mess with unions. Um, they weren't real welcome in uh, 
in my part of Texas and uh, really in any part of Texas. Uh, you know, unions, I can remember unions, well, I can't remember when they really served a purpose, but I understood from history why they were formed. They had to do something, uh, child labor laws and everything else. And, it, you know, unfortunately, manufacturers were basically... Uh, enslaving their employees to a degree, particularly in, in some areas like coal mining and, mm-hmm. and uh, some other areas that people forget about. And I can understand it, but I think they outlived and outserved themselves. Uh, and and this, is, this has been the demise of the car industry. Um, yep. I can remember, you're too, you, well, you, you're too young to remember them, but I can remember when... General Motors or Chrysler products would, uh, you know, their their manufacturing plants, their union people would go on strike for a higher wage. Right. And they got, you know, they, they got to the point, and I was just a kid, this was back in the 50s and 60s, that they their demands, even then, I said, you know, this doesn't make sense. You can't demand this kind of, of package and uh, why the manufacturers kept giving in. As far as I'm concerned, the the best ever, ever regarding unions was what Mr. Reagan did with the air traffic controllers. You want to strike? You're fired. Right. Goodbye. Right. I loved it. And had had business stood up to that and taken that approach, um, by, by the 60s, particularly by the 60s, uh, we had enough laws in place and enough people would have objected. We didn't need unions, particularly in the car industry and in some of the other industries. Uh, things would have, the economy would have taken care of itself. But instead, uh, they, they got things that, uh, and it's no wonder the car industry is, has fallen on bad times. Well, it was the, the car industries, specifically GM and Chrysler, just, I guess they just didn't have the courage to stand up to their workers who just kept asking for more and more. And when, you know, obviously the economy nosedive in 2007, 2008, and it wasn't just the housing market, everything nosedive. Cars were almost impossible to sell because people couldn't get car loans. But the banks had pretty much locked up on credit. And yet the unions refused to pay attention to, to what was going on in reality, to pay attention to what the rest of us had to deal with. And they refused to drop any of their uh, demands and their, their extremely high wages. They were making $120,000 a year, plus Cadillac benefits, to watch a robot put a car together. Now, I mean, that's why do you think they're moving down here, David? Because you pay them 50000 in Alabama, and that they're happy with that wage. Let me, let me ask you something. If you were to take a snapshot of what the unions did to their particular industry, like the automobile industry particularly, what would that be a snapshot of today overall? I mean, it would look pretty much like Detroit. It would look pretty much like what we're we're at. What's happening now is that you've got 53% doing nothing and wanting the government to pay them, and you've got 40-something percent working and having to pay them. Right. That's exactly what the right. unions did, and, and that's what we got as an economy today. And you don't, see, you didn't see any increased production with the increase in healthcare costs. And uh, what happened was they ended up pushing a lot of that onto the American taxpayer. We sent GM twenty five 
billion dollars, I believe, and the Obama administration is running around excited because when they finally resold all the stock that they bought in government motors, it was only a $12 billion loss to the taxpayer. Only in Obama's America is a $12 billion loss something to celebrate. You know, were you were you uh, around when the General Motors plant on on two eighty five was of course uh, operating? I drive by that every day. I know, but when it was yeah. operating, yeah. I had a, a good. I did friend. a mortgage for a guy there. I went to. I physically went in there. The it, business was jumping uh, at the time back yeah. in two thousand three. Was it? I thought it had been closed longer than that. No. Okay. Well, anyway, I had a friend many many years ago that was going to law school, and uh, he went to work at that plant. He was the janitor for the uh, president and vice president's office at that plant. <clears throat> now you say, wait a second, they didn't have a president and vice president. Well, yeah, they did. The corporation did. And those two individuals had to have offices in that plant. So if they happened to be in town, they would have an office to work out of. They couldn't just, you know, come in and, and right. be with Joe Schmo. <clears throat> My friend was drawing an enormous salary as janitor for two offices, <laughs> and he asked he asked his supervisor, you know, I'm going to law school. Can I study while I'm here? And 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 the manager or the his boss said, well, sure you can, just as long as you get the office cleaned every night. Okay, wait a second here. <laughs> Let me understand. I got two offices I got to clean, but nobody's ever in them. But I just have to clean them, and then I can study. So he he would he was on the ten to eight shift or midnight to eight shift, whatever it was, right. drawing a very nice salary. And he and I kidded about it many times. He said, "You know, I may just give up law school. I can make more money doing this." And he had all the perks, you know. He had uh, insurance. He had everything that you could possibly want or get out of the unions and get out of General Motors. And this was back in 1974 or 5, I think. And it was incredible. And he said as far as cleaning, he said the hardest work he ever did was that the president did come into town one night, was in his office for 20 minutes maybe, and that he had to take out the trash you know, and he said the the other hard work was he had to dust it every now and then just to make it look like he was doing something. So the the point of my story is, you get what you pay for, and we're getting now we're getting back what we've voted for and what we've been paying for as an economy. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of what, what do they say? Elections have consequences. People that uh, I meet a lot of folks, David, and they're they think both. Republican and Democrats are the same, and that uh, politicians are all out to get them. And and I'll say this: yes, they are. They are out to get you, which is why you, as a citizen, as a potential voter, if you aren't, if you aren't a current voter, y'all need to start paying attention to what's going on. Germany just uh, outlawed Uber. The whole country. You know that that I, I don't know what is so scary about transportation freedom, and then you look on the other hand, Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin, when he got in, they were going to have to fire thousands and thousands of teachers and, and public sector employees, right? Because the unions there just more, 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 in spite of dropping property values and, and, and lower uh, property tax receipts, the unions kept wanting more and more. 
And unfortunately, we can't go Ronald Reagan anymore and just fire people, especially at, at teachers. It would create such a vacuum. So what did Scott Walker do? He said, you know what? We're going to make y'all start having to pay a little bit towards all these pension and health care benefits and, and all the other goodies that you get as a public sector uh, employee in Wisconsin. And they didn't even want to pay a little bit more. Everybody else in this country has to pay, but these folks had gotten all this stuff for free and refused to pay. And we know what happened. Scott Walker ended up finally passing a bill through the the Republican Senate over there. It actually saved thousands and thousands of teaching jobs. That's the scary thing about unions, David, is they would they, they become such parasites. They have such a parasitic. You're right. They have such a parasitic relationship that they would rather kill the host than stop feeding right. as much from it. Yeah, that, that's a very good analogy. You're you're two hundred percent right. Yeah, I just uh, you know I, I I covered the Scott Walker thing pretty heavily, uh, especially when they were doing the recall uh, election on him, because obviously whenever uh, no good deed goes unpunished, and by saving all those jobs, guess what? The far left had an outcry. They banged on drums and trashed the courthouse in Madison, Wisconsin. And they tried to recall him. Governor Walker, thank God, won that. And I like him as a potential Republican candidate for president in 2016. You, you want to go and take our first break here? While the, we'll uh, do while it. The and, thunder, uh, while the thunderstorms yeah. roll in. Yeah, I <laughs> hope. Uh, if, if, we, if you happen to lose us, it's because we're uh, having some really bad uh, weather here. So we'll be back right after this. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Joining at you, we got some thunderstorms rolling in here, but uh, I am confident that lightning will not strike the studio down with great fury and <laughs> great vengeance and fury. So, sorry, it's a little Pulp Fiction impression there, but uh, got a very special guest joining us today, a fraternity brother of mine from the University of Georgia and a renowned author, uh, Patrick Garbin. Patrick, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? Hey, Greg. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. My pleasure, man. I've uh, been... Um, able to keep up with your uh, your writing career over the past few years and uh, remember chatting with you five or six years ago about hey man you need to get your uh, your social media going and lo and behold you got 3500 fans now so <laughs> yeah yeah no i uh, in fact uh, i uh, because of that conversation it uh, i really started uh, jump started my facebook page and it's it's really helped out yeah, we'll have, uh, well, if you can get 90,000 or 92,000, the uh, capacity at Sanford Stadium, I think that would be a good initial goal to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. By the end of the football season, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, well, listen, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the, the challenges that, uh, you know, uh, an, a writer has these days and maybe what makes it uh, a little bit easier sometimes back you know, when we were growing up at University of Georgia and going to school sometimes and um, looking at uh, what it took to actually produce books and and be an author back then, you would really have to have an agent. They'd have to approve your manuscript. Your editor would have to go through stuff. Then you'd have to buy probably at least 10,000 books and try to, you know, get a a bookseller like B. Dalton or somebody to hawk them for you, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely changed. I mean it's changed since um, I, my uh, my seventh book is about to come out uh, September eighth, actually. So here just in a few days um, on uh, on the city of Athens, my first six all on UGA football. My first one was released out in um, two thousand and seven, but just in seven years, the industry has really changed with the emergence of like uh, e-books. Um, and whatnot, and you know, like uh, borders closing down. Right. Um, people just don't go to, uh, I guess, a bookstore anymore. In fact, I, I'll, I'll admit, I, even though it helps me out in the long run, I sometimes get onto my wife when she goes to the bookstore. I'm like, <laughs> you know, online we can, even with shipping, we can pay half that, you know, or, or even a lot less, you know. Um, so that's really changed. Uh, the industry, just as far as how you get published. I mean, Greg, you probably remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were in school, I used to just always have this, uh, I guess, knowledge for UGA football, in particular its history, and I really started, uh, I just came up with the idea one day of um, that Georgia football needed some sort of encyclopedia-like football book, similar to other schools already had, and I started uh, sending proposals out to, uh, you know, agents and, and uh, different publishers and whatnot. And I finally got a, uh, a book deal. And ever since then, I've been fortunate enough that uh, I get books two through seven. The, uh, the publishers come to me. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of hard work and sweat that first one as far as, you know, um, trying to find a publisher, but ever since then, besides the actual writing part of books two through seven, 
it's um, I, I've been fortunate in yeah. that regard. Well, that's amazing. You've you've really been cranking out almost a book a year. It sounds like. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's um, it can be it can be rather you know taxing when especially when you when you have other work you have to do and pay the bills and you have two small children like I do. It's. Uh, <laughs> It can be tough, but it's, um, you know, it's a passion, and, you know, in, in a lot of ways. I don't really even see it as work, so uh, it's, it's been fun, certainly. Yeah, well, you know, I um, I remember we used to quiz you uh, about who the punter was for Georgia in 1974, and uh, maybe if, maybe maybe took you a little bit longer, depending on how many brews we'd had, but uh, eventually it, you got... It was Bucky Diltz, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's, um, yeah, that just used to be my thing. I mean, when I was a little kid, um, you know, my dad would give me the Georgia Football Media Guide as a gift every late summer and uh i would you know it was like a toy you know while most right. kids were playing with gi joes that was my main toy all year round until the next summer so it was just kind of ingrained in me then well what kind of access uh, obviously you wrote your first book back in 2007 that was uh I believe that was a pretty good year for Georgia football. After you wrote that, I'm sure you became a little bit more well-known in, in Athens and, and the state. Did you get more access to players and coaches after the first book? Yeah, and, and since um, in doing those books, and then I have the About Them Dogs blog, which is the only site out there that's UGA football history-based, um, I've... Uh, I got a, a, a nice little following of um, former players because I'll, I'll interview them and put write-ups on the blog, and then through one player you meet a few more, and then um, just through my books I've interviewed players. So it's this year I'm, I'm um, I just started a new role actually just with the Clemson game uh, this past Saturday as a beat writer for a uh, a website DogTime.com that. Just, at one point, it was just an annual football magazine that I used to write for, but now they're trying to grow their web presence, so I do some stuff for them. That's got the access to the current players, but prior to that, it was um, it, it was all you know older guys right. or, or or already you know lettermen that have gone through the program. Well, I know you had done a, you did like a picture book over the years too. Were you able to get access to you know get uh, you know a locker room and, and um, you know on to Sanford Stadium and, and on the field and all that? Or how'd you well, how you put that, that together? Uh, yeah, with a uh, historic uh, historic photos at the University of uh, Georgia football. Yep. Um, which came out four years ago. You know, essentially, Greg. That's 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 all. Um, all those photos were up at the uh, sports communications department. Um, you know, sometimes that can be a challenge to get, <laughs> get a hold of them in, in itself, but um, the publisher handled all that, got all the photos, and then I just had to research everything and then write uh, extended captions on uh, Okay, the so those are basically yeah. part of the, the public spectrum, but you actually did the, the groundwork on it and were able to, to write some descriptive captions for them. Okay, so that's how exactly. that book came. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, you mentioned you you get to talk to a lot of older or former players. Um, what do you think? Do you think we're at the stage now that these football players need to start getting paid in addition to full scholarships? I tell you, with that issue, um, I uh, you know I'll be honest with you. I really go 
back and forth. I mean, you know, I I used to, um, you know, I, I used to think, hey, they're getting they're getting rooms, you know, free room and board, free education. Um, hey, they need to, you know, that that's, um, you know, I, I know I was on the Hope Scholarship uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of my time at UGA. But then you talk about, you know, going to class little. I basically lost that. Now, granted, I was I was fortunate because I didn't have to pay all of that. But um, you know, I, I I used to have the mindset that hey, these guys are basically getting a free ride. Why do they need uh, other money? That was mm-hmm. until I started talking to these players. Right. And I've heard some unbelievable stories. I'll, I'll tell you a few. There were a group of players from the '70s that used to. Uh, this is when um, this is mid seventies, uh, and uh, pizza delivery was a fairly new concept. And I think Domino's was the first to do it. At least it happened. <laughs> well, they would um, they would call the pizza guy over to McWhorter Hall and literally like hold them up, um, not with you know <laughs> weapons, but with with uh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna beat you up. And, and it wasn't um, it wasn't to. Uh, uh, fun and games. These guys literally, if if the McWhorter Hall dining hall if you will close, that that's how a lot of these guys. That that's how they would eat. Right. I mean, there was just no money coming from from mom and dad. And granted, their books and all that that was paid for. But that that old uh, that old saying you hear. Well, they can't take a girl out. Why well, used to roll my eyes at that? But you know what? In some cases. And, and I'm sure it's the case now. That's very true. So as far as paying players, I think something needs to be in place now. You know, football player compared to a woman swimmer compared to a third string, you know, uh, yeah. goalie. You know, I, I don't know about that, but I think something needs to be in place because some of these guys really come from nothing, if you will. Yeah. And and you know from some of the players that that I've talked to, um, they would be happy with just getting some kind of extended health insurance policy because a lot of these guys they're out there for four or five seasons, uh, depending on if they get redshirted. And um, you know, and that's something that I think is certainly on the on the minds of a lot of people is you know should tax dollars go in addition to our scholarship money to to pay? And um, you know, I I certainly think that these folks are bringing in a lot of revenue to the team they're they're building a lot of interest now most of the money raised by the football program guess what it goes to the football program but the more notoriety and and high profile your your school is then the better it's going to be um you mentioned the hope scholarship earlier that clearly improved georgia and georgia tech the average sat scores for both of those went up just i mean skyrocketed it i think you're about a four well they changed the sat now there's three parts of it but back in our day there's a good score was probably 1300 was probably a really good score and that's i think below the average one um before they changed it so clearly the caliber of student has has improved significantly and you would think that there there would be some funding available especially for uh the the football players who are literally risking the life and limb at at every practice And and i'll tell you this and i've attended them but if you go to let's just say the annual Letterman's Barbecue, which is the uh, which is the day of the Troy game this year, which is um, let's see, three, uh, two or three weeks from this Saturday, mm-hmm. and you know, ninety percent of those guys didn't even sniff the NFL 
field. Right. You know, a lot of them just got a letter. They they barely sniffed the field at Georgia. But I guarantee about if you walked up to at least three fourths of them, all of them have some sort of nagging knee, a bad back. They complain of dizziness. All of these guys are feeling the effects of playing just you know high school. Then on top of yep. that, major college football. Right. And, you know, their bodies are literally deteriorating compared to someone their, uh, their same age, but say was, has been an accountant the whole time or something. Or a writer. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> hey, we Pat, we've we got to take, uh, take our first commercial break. If you can hold on for a couple minutes, sure. we're going to try to make sure we don't get hit by lightning. Uh, David, what do you think? you think we're good? All right, we'll take our uh, two-minute break here. We'll be back in a minute on Greg's List. For years, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center has been providing outstanding care to patients of all ages. They are dedicated to patient satisfaction and have been the recipient of the Georgia Otolaryngology Association Patient Satisfaction Award. They welcome any questions you may have about their services. Their practice includes treatment of asthma, allergies, sleep apnea, snoring, hearing impairments, and chronic sinus disease. Dr. Elena George is a board-certified ear, nose, and throat surgeon. Her training in New York has included training at Manhattan Eye, Ear, and Throat Hospital and Memorial Sloan. Kettering Cancer Center. She believes in practicing both the art and science of medicine. All patients are seen by Dr. George. All treatment options are discussed, and time will be spent to answer all questions. Their office is located in Atlanta at 1776 Peachtree Road in Suite 260 North Tower, two blocks south of Piedmont Hospital. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m. Additional details are available at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. At Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center, you can be confident that you are in good hands with their professional team. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. I'm Marita News, and I would like to invite you to listen live or download my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on Greg's List. You are listening to us on AmericasWebRadio.com. If you do hear crashing in the background, it's not the, the studio having an earthquake. There is a little bit of a thunderstorm in the area. We're online with uh, with author uh, Patrick Garbin out of uh, Athens, Georgia area, the author of seven books now based on the uh, univer- history of University of Georgia, its football program, and the uh, I think the best college town in America. Uh, Pat, we were just talking about you uh, going back to some of these Letterman um, uh, barbecues and events and that most of them, like three, three out of four of them, had some kind of nagging injury that went back to their uh, their high school and college football days, right? Yeah, you know, that's, you know, as we were talking about it, there could be some sort of insurance in place because a lot of these guys, they do, uh, even if they don't reach uh, the NFL, I see them. Um, it's it's, uh, it, it's pretty amazing how, how those Knee injuries, you know, whether through high school and college, mm-hmm. it, it just it nags them through the rest of the life back. Uh, a lot of dizziness, um, and uh, it, it's it's obviously because they they uh, you know they it took its toll on their bodies playing 
and practicing in two days and and all that. So, um, well, yeah. you remember you remember uh, a, a Alabama receiver named Tyrone Prothrow, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. was going to be a first. He was first round talent, and uh, Florida and Alabama were playing. And this was back when uh, Shula was a coach of Alabama, and they were not. They were certainly not this, the the Sabins Alabama that we're seeing these days. And Alabama was beating Florida pretty good, and uh, they, they were trying to run up the score on him. And they put in pro throw at the end of the game in the fourth quarter with like five minutes left. Threw him a pass in the end zone. I think he, I think he caught it, but he got just leveled by two Florida players in the end. Zone. And his ankle just went all sorts of ways, and basically it was a career-ending injury for him. He had to get his ankle rebuilt, and he's—I uh, saw him on um, one of his ESPN behind the lines type shows. And you know, my wife works at a bank, but uh, Tyrone Prothero was working at a as a teller at a bank in Tuscaloosa, and uh, oh, really? huh. it was just you know, and, he, and they interviewed him obviously, and said, "Well, you know how much Alabama football made that year?" He goes, "No, I said fifty-six million dollars." And uh, wow. yeah, he um, he certainly wanted to get a little bit of that money. And there's been all sorts of lawsuits filed now too. So I think you know, obviously, if you start paying the football players, then all of the college athletes are going to want to get paid. So you almost have to do a, a comprehensive. Uh, plan, but I think it's pretty easy to do that. You can just say, "Well, you know, you get paid a percentage of the profit that your uh, your your team brings in." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because most m- most of the most of the sports in colleges don't make any money, so that would kind of eliminate. <laughs> yeah, that would just leave a couple at most. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. seriously. So you know, with a pro football, and, and that's the thing is, is pro football it does have the most players, fifty three. Uh, on the active roster with more than 30 teams. So there's more than 1,500 NFL players pr- plus the practice squad, which is now uh, bumped up to 10 people on the practice squad. So in theory, there could be 1,800 or so professional football players getting paid. But the difference in football is the money is usually not guaranteed. In fact, the this morning, J.J. Watt, player for the uh, Houston Texans, signed a huge deal, $51 million guaranteed, re- uh, almost record NFL money. But if you put him in, in Major League Baseball, he'd be ranked 71st in, in payment. So, again, I don't have too much sympathy for somebody at $51 million, but you, you, I think football players, especially with it being high impact and with the players just getting bigger and bigger, we need to really take a look at, at doing something for them financially while they are there and for something for some of their long-term care. Yeah, especially considering that... that, that you know, if if anyone in the sport is going to have um, injuries down the road or have the side effects from those, what they suffered while they were playing, it would be football players. It's almost backward if you think about it, how, how the system's set up. Yeah, where the compensation is, is you know, for non-impact. Uh, now, granted, I would say basketball is pretty high-impact as well, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly not to the level of football where you're now seeing guys that used to be offensive linemen basically as linebackers. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I, and, that's something, and, and that's got to be something you've noticed as well, like it, with your knowledge of, of Georgia football history, just the size of the teams. Like, what was the average offensive lineman weight back in uh, the mid seventies? Oh, mid seventies. You're probably talking uh, like for Georgia, for instance, maybe two forty <laughs> would be. I'm just kind of. I mean, and now it's. It, I mean, it, it kind of depends, but it's 
you know, I mean, that, it's at least uh, 60 pounds higher yeah. than that, if not 70. Yeah, two, like um, I said, 240 is a linebacker now. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's pretty, uh, it, <laughs> and they've gotten faster. So well, yeah, that's that's the dramatic thing is the linebackers are running four fours, and uh, I guess the nutrition is there. You have all these coaches dedicated uh, position wise, a lot of money. A football basically at every college or university is the breadwinner, which is why I do think it needs to. And, and college basketball, I guess at a, a Kentucky, and I mean basically the NCAA March Madness makes a ton of money. I don't know how much individual college basketball teams make. The line, I would say, the lion's share of, of revenues in in sports is through college football, especially with the way they've signed these agreements with um, the SEC network now, and just so much big money in college sports, and it really, I don't think, is is getting to the players as much as it should be, because most of them are not going to turn pro, and you'll see the the commercials now where 90% of us are pro in something else other than our sport that we played. Yeah, of course you are. You you did javelin or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's there's not too many... uh pro uh you know hammer throwers out there yeah exactly Um, yeah well, and it's also gotten a little politically correct. Uh, we saw last year uh, University of Georgia played against uh, Missouri, who featured a, a defensive player by the name of Michael Sam, who I'm sure a lot of people are hearing a lot more about Michael Sam than they probably expected to, considering he was a seventh-round pick. And uh, me and you had a chance to talk a little offline earlier today. Michael Sam announced that uh, he was gay and was the first gay uh, player drafted, and then he was uh, drafted by the St. Louis Rams, and now they've cut him him and of course this is big news meanwhile three or four years ago tim tebow a guy i don't think either me or you're going to say we're huge tebow fans because he beat us <laughs> three out of the four yeah. years yeah. but he gets run out of the league basically because they thought he was a distraction so i mean how do we juxta- juxtapose those and 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 still you know want to have common sense in uh, in the football arena yeah you know we we um we don't, and we, we don't justify it. You know, there's there's no justification. You know, with Tebow, it was just like bad, bad luck. Whereas with Michael uh, Sam, you know, he he brought a lot of we'll call it noise onto himself. You know, he um, and you know, I heard Bill Romanowski, uh, former linebacker great in the NFL, talking this morning, and you mentioned 53 players, and he said the number one thing you need to have. With 53 guys is no distractions, no noise. We all got to be focused. And whether it's uh, all the talk around Tebow or all the talk around Michael Sam, it's a distraction. Now, was Sam cut because of that noise? We don't know. You know, I didn't see any games. I don't know if he actually didn't uh, play up to snuff, if you will. But as, as somebody said, it's certainly didn't help his uh, cause, you know, and, and in a way he brought it on to himself. I mean, you and I were talking about, you know, that when he was drafted, you know, the big uh, spectacle that was made. And then this, I guess this reality show through Oprah, yeah. I think has something to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, that, that uh, uh, you know, that obviously cause noise and um so and, and i'll tell you something else when he when michael sam got way uh cut on i think they announced it saturday yeah i'm I, i'm there with a group of people and about four or five people we hear this news on the tv 
and they're outraged. They're absolutely <laughs> outraged. Now, I, I believe all but one, if not all, were women. But, you know, <laughs> how, how was he cut? You know, it's because he's, you know, it's because he's a homosexual. And then this one girl says, um, yeah, wasn't he like a rookie of the year or something? And I remember thinking, no, actually, he was the SEC's defensive player of the year. And your reaction just shows that it's not about Michael Sam and football now. It's about Michael Sam being a homosexual. Yep. And that's why there was all this outrage. Yeah, they, it's, so. it's about fairness. And, you know, when Obama feels the, the necessity to comment on a guy who, I mean, put it this way, Tim Tebow should be in the NFL. If I'm, if I'm yeah. the Jacksonville mm-hmm. Jaguars, I, I, am, I, am, I need people to pay attention to my team and he's from florida so he's on my team he can do the he can do the tebow and and i mean he's obviously gave too much glory to the lord for it to be acceptable by many people in the nfl i mean the guy won eight games in a row in a playoff game for denver and you know michael sam can't um can't bench press more than 400 pounds so but but yeah. who, who needs to be in the nfl this this vocal minority of people wants to tell the nfl how they should be making their economic decisions yes yeah no i uh i agree yeah you know you're right tebow he could play i mean he could at least be a backup tight end or a third string quarterback or play on special teams um but like i mentioned to begin with he, he you know he, he's kind of an unfortunate case whereas with michael sam you know i, I really you know i i really think he he uh he, he put a lot of it on himself you know. Well, you know, that's the thing is what what we've been talking about. These 53 players that, that are in the NFL, the fact that their money is not really guaranteed. And to have mm-hmm. anybody that puts themselves in front of the team, what do they say? There's no I in team, but there is one in Michael, Sam. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, to have this guy who's never even played a down – uh, a professional in the NFL come in and have a reality show following him, and every day after practice, so uh, how is how are the showers today? I mean, you're going to eventually get tired of that. That's going to start impacting your performance a little bit on the football field, and it's all because somebody wanted to put their sexuality in front of of the rest of the NFL. Yeah, and you can imagine. I mean, you can almost put yourself in, in the locker room, and you see, you know, whether it's cameras and all this attention on. A guy who's not, uh, you know, who doesn't have the ability to make an NFL team, and all of a sudden, as I was talking earlier, that focus that you need for and, and no distractions yeah. for those fifty, it's gone. Yep, you know, it's gone, and and distractions. Uh, are present. You're busy busy answering questions about social issues and and, and things in the the United States when you are, that is your job. You are risking being paralyzed, uh, ACL damage, almost any football injury you could possibly imagine. All of that stuff is, you need to be focused like a laser, to uh, (laughs) borrow a phrase from a previous politician, but when when you put your sexuality out there and you get treated like a hero because the, the because of the fact that uh, you're a homosexual, the same thing with the Jason Collins uh, in, issue, where he gets lofted up as some kind of hero when he was totally just going for a book deal or a talk show, or or clearly had an agenda on his mind. Uh, Pat, if we're gonna uh, take our final commercial break, though, if you can hold on, wanted to wrap sure. up the uh, segment with you. We'll be back in two minutes on Greg's list. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism on AmericasWebRadio.com. Special guest today joined by my fraternity brother and friend and author, Patrick Garbin. You can find him at PatrickGarbin.com, author of seven books now. I mean, it's I, I can't fight the irony here. I'm the one that majored in journalism, and I think you were IT or business, and you're the one with seven published books. That's that's just not fair. I, I know. Uh, <laughs> finance, and then I, of, of all things, I got my master's in uh in uh, IT, yeah. and, uh, and really do uh, nothing with either of them right now. So uh, it just goes to show you uh, college kids out there that, you know what, it's, uh, it's, don't worry if, if you know, you're, you're getting out of college and not sure quite what you're going to do because, it, it uh, you know, it's, we're all example. A lot of us are examples of uh, just eventually finding our way. Yeah, I mean, you don't, uh, unless you're doing some kind of specialty thing like a CPA or, uh, you know, a medical degree or something like that, you're pretty much going to get trained for um, for whatever your your career will be. And if you're fortunate, like uh, like my, my, my friend Patrick, who uh, has a talent and also a, just a, 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 a UGA zealot. I mean, they're, they're crazy. I mean, most of the people that know me would probably call me a crazy UGA fan, and I think Pat might have me beat by just a, a little bit. Certainly has me beat in the, the knowledge department of Georgia football history. I may have a little bit on the, the rage factor per play. <laughs> you, you never know. I was uh, I was looking at the, the, the game. So basically on Saturday we had a bunch of low-information football people out there who were outraged that Michael Sam got cut. Is that what you, you were telling me of that story? 
Yeah, and and uh, it's um, oh man with the little group. I you know, and and the thing is when you know, and back to your comparison when let's say if we were to take the same group, um, the uh, those same four or five people that were outraged that that he was he was cut when when Tebow got cut, they. Uh, you know, there would have been no reaction, certainly not the reaction that I heard when when Sam got cut, you know, like I said, uh, uh, obviously it was because uh, he was he's gay, you know, was was the was the idea that people didn't know. It, it wasn't that. OK, with the, the guy, I, I mean, in the preseason, because I've been watching, uh, I think Mike and Mike this morning had a segment. And of course, now that it's cool to be. Um, to be pro Michael Sam, everybody said, "Oh, we have got to get him on a practice squad somewhere. They've got to, somebody's got to sign him." The Falcons were even interviewed. Why won't you sign Michael Sam? And they're like, "Look, we already have our, you know, uh, yeah. our, our team." And uh, there was a column written by Jeff Schultz who said the Falcons should sign him. And it's like, my God, this is the the NFL is not a charity. It is not yeah. a public relations organization. In fact, whenever the players that they they have pretty strict penalties compared to college football. You go to Auburn, you you get caught uh, you know robbing somebody, they suspend you for the first half. Yeah. NFL, you're you're out like eight games. <laughs> and, and I tell you, in interviewing a lot of the you know Georgia players that eventually became NFL players, that's the besides the speed of the game from college to pro, kind of behind the scenes, the number one they'll say, especially like a Fred Gibson, a receiver in the early 2000s, yep. who I believe was a third-round pick. Some of these guys that weren't guaranteed that huge money, as Fred told me, he was like, man, it's a business. He said, you know, and, and it, it seems kind of simply put, hey, NFL football is a business, but it's a business. And when you can only have 53 guys, you can't give a, a spot or even a practice squad spot to a charity case. Right. You know, you're talking. This is these guys' livelihoods. You know, and if they can make uh, special teams and and earn some money, and then on top of that, as we were talking about, if you get hurt, you're out. So it's it's uh, you just can't give away. Yeah, especially since. Yeah, I mean, NFL careers, the guys, I mean, a Fred Gibson, who was a very successful UGA, started as a freshman, uh, like you said, third-round pick, which, you know, most of those guys are pretty much guaranteed to make the team. I believe he was in the in the league for three or four years. I don't remember yeah. him doing a whole lot, but, uh, no. I mean, he was uh, really skinny but really fast. And, I mean, like I say, he was a star at UGA, you know, burn out of the league in three or four years, and probably, you know, hell, those salaries are taxed at uh, – excessive amounts and most of the NFL players I'm sorry they don't have a bunch of fancy accountants that can hide their income they're paying the 40% of income over 250,000 a year <laughs> so. yeah yeah no he uh no I mean speaking of him I think you're right he was with I want to say four different teams over three years and he never actually stepped foot in a regular season game it was all wow. preseason and he kept getting cut for he missed a special teams meeting he gets cut by the Falcons he has a little injury with another team, he gets cut. I mean, it's it's a business, you know. And if you they they will, and it's cutthroat. And unless you're like a you know high draft pick or think someone like Tom Brady, who's a proven um, you know top performer, it's um, you can understand why it's every spot is is uh, critical to a team. And I tell you, if I'm one of those mid range guys that's you know, barely have a foot on the team and a foot out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want distractions 
and, and you know, I don't want any distractions. Yeah. I want to be focused. And uh, I think, you know, just just to our point about Michael Sam, I think that's what he brought on. Yeah. Um, I mean, both we can we can agree that both Tebow and uh, Michael Sam are huge distractions to their teams. And and and, and I mean, I, I don't care if that's fair or not. Um, uh, Tebow was a distraction. I I think that was more of just a, a media. Um, witch hunt for him. There were some people that just did not think he had the arm strength and wanted to tell teams, oh, you can't play him at quarterback. He can't throw. And yet he won eight games for the Broncos and a playoff game against the Steelers as a quarterback. So, yeah. And then on the other hand, you've got NFL players coming out now and, and not, as I mentioned, the low-information football fans that are outraged that Michael Sam got cut by the St. Louis Rams who made a business decision and, and they probably said, okay, we'll, we'll draft him. They, they, he did this big presentation. He's watching the, the draft with his boyfriend. He came out specifically orchestrated this moment. We'll draft him just to show we're cool. Maybe the NFL called him and said, hey, uh, we've got this PR thing going, so somebody yeah. draft him. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cover you afterwards. Or maybe ESPN had some kind of side deal. Who, who knows what happened? But it, you know, of course, every game, I'm sure, pe- the players that are fighting for their, their livelihoods, because a lot of these guys, if they don't make the team, their degree from whatever school they went to was not really the main thing that, that got them to college. They were not there to become, uh, you know, rocket scientists. They were they were at school to, to, to play football, and hopefully they, they did get a degree. And I don't mean to stereotype all of them like that, but, I you know, following University of Georgia pretty closely, I'm pretty sure that football is the only thing that got a lot of these folks into a school that now has average SAT scores upwards of 1350. Yeah, and then a lot of them just automatically think they're going to play the next level, too. And then, and that's why, you know, for those that are capable, you know, every spot is critical, you know. Yeah, and especially, you know, with the, with the way football players get hurt during the year, the practice squad is literally where you, you bring on somebody. Or a lot of times these older players, they, they'll lose it halfway through the season and they'll get replaced by somebody on the, on the practice squad. So the, every, it's not like, oh, the practice squad is just for these charity cases. Just throw them on there and we'll just, we'll just have a feel good story for the year. That's, that's not the way the NFL works. That's not the way business works business is not in you know companies don't go into business to give away things to to people that don't deserve it and whether or not michael say you know apparently had two or three sacks during the preseason and uh you know some of the football analysts are looking at that saying somebody give him a spot but you know two or three sacks against fifth string guys that'll never play a down in a regular season game versus every day your players are being distracted by a a, a news media that that's more like a paparazzi following football players you know what's what 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 are you going to do yeah it's uh, it's uh it's certainly not worth worth uh again you know that that, that word again distractions um and uh yeah the rams in the end, you know, they, they, they made a business decision for what's best for the Rams. Yep, and you know that that that's the way of the world, my friends. You better get used to it. First place, yeah. million dollars. Second place, steak knives. That's, that's right. That's <laughs> Third right. place, you fight. But uh, 
Anyway, wanted to thank my friend, my fraternity brother, Kai Sai, at University of Georgia, which I actually was uh, messaged during this by a, a Facebook friend of mine that uh, said he was a Kai Sai, a little bit older than us, Brian Madden, but wanted to thank him for listening. And um, and thank you, Patrick. You can find uh, Patrick at patrickgarbin.com. Yes, what's your Facebook page? Uh, UGA football by Patrick Garvin. By Patrick Garvin. That thing is growing. I, I looked at it a few months ago. It had like 250 fans. I tried to blast it out a little bit. Next thing I know, when I look back, you've got like 3,600 now. Just <laughs> That's yeah. called growth if we can get up to Sanford Stadium capacity, which I think we had 92.7 at, uh, on Saturday. That's got to be the real goal for us. But anyway, thanks, Pat. We yeah. appreciate you calling in. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. And we wanted to thank y'all for uh, for listening in today. Got to talk a little bit, uh, you know, a little football, which of course I like too, but also making it relevant to some of these issues that get politicized. I mean, when a when a football player getting cut from a team gets commentary from the president of the United States, you know, there's something at play here. There's an agenda from people that want to force businesses to do things because they think government has some responsibility to. I can assure you, if, if, if Jason Collins was as good as Wilt Chamberlain, he'd be starting and, and making $100 million a year. The fact is, you, you get paid what you earn or what you're worth in this country. That's the bottom line. If you're valuable to your company... You are going to get paid. You are always a profit margin, though. That's what uh, employees, if you don't own the business and you're an employee, you, you are a profit margin to your employer. No matter what you do, if you're in sales, if you're admin, if you're HR, whatever you do, your employer looks at you as a profit margin. And if you can get replaced, then they will replace you. We're wrapping up on the show here. All right, well, anyway, like I said, guys, thank you all for listening today. We've had some weather issues here. I feel like I'm going in and out a little bit, but um, I wanted to thank everybody for listening today. Again, we had author Patrick Garbin on, talked about Michael Sam, whether college football players should get paid, and some other salient issues. Replay of the show will be tonight at 6 p.m. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Greg's List. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.